Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 61. I'm your host, Eric Moore. This week, we're going to be talking about comparing the bear markets so far, historical bear markets. What do we know so far? Uh, how does this compare in both the speed to getting to a bear market? We want to look at comparing previous bear markets and peak to trough, number of days, number of days to recovery. Uh, this one, you know, we'll know the end of the bear market when when it's at the end. But I also want to get into not only the speed of decline and comparing that, but also you're hearing a lot about spreads widening and, and high yield spreads widening in particular. What exactly does that mean? And, and what's one of the things to look for maybe as an indication that, uh, you know, things are settling down? And we also want to take a look at recessions. Uh, we're not in a recession yet, but given uh, there's a lot of people talking about it and, uh, you know, with the coronavirus and everything kind of shutting down a little bit and everything sorting itself out, we'll kind of compare historically uh, what a recession is, what it isn't, and some of the lengths of time. And we'll also sort of take a look at a lot of analysts right now. I mean, people trying to figure out what are corporate earnings really going to be. And we went into the year thinking one number uh, in the market sometimes, you know, it's trying to discount itself right now based upon what it thinks and sorting out uh, what we're looking at in the future. So I'll go through a process that when you watch CNBC, a lot of them are trying to go through and that's what's the expected earnings over the next four quarters and then what multiple does the stock market trade at. And of course, the, the market can trade on momentum and, and any number of things. Uh, so it's never an exact science. But I thought it would be interesting to go through just some of those aspects. Okay. So first off, what is a bear market? How do you define a bear market? Well, a lot of people think about a bear market as a decline from the peak. So the peak is the very high in the market. Uh, and you're looking at a decline of 20% or more on a closing basis, on a closing basis. Now, uh, before I move further, um, there is a little bit of controversy because, you know, it, in reality, September 20th of 2018 was the peak. I think it was Christmas Eve was the trough. Intraday, it was over 20% declined from the peak, but you actually never closed. I think it was like 19.9% decline. And of course, that all came back uh, you know, pretty much in a V-shaped recovery early in, in 2019. But if we, if we put that in there and we kind of look at some historical bear markets, obviously the ones that uh, come out, and I won't, I won't go back to the, the Great Depression per se, uh, but keeping it more recent, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, that was sort of the most you know, the one everyone remembers. Uh, no one really remembers the great bear market of, uh, you know, 2011 or the great bear market of, uh, uh, you know, 2018 or 1980. So peak to trough in days in 2007, it was 517 days from the peak to the trough. Now, to put that into perspective, just, I mean, everything that's happened so fast and the speed at which we got to negative 20% from the highs, we're actually 32% off the all-time high, which was only, only February 19th. So we closed on Friday, uh, 
about 32% off that high. And that's 30 calendar days, less trading days, but 30 calendar days. And so 32% uh, peak to our most recent trough. And I say most recent because we don't necessarily know what's going to happen with the markets going forward. Uh, but this is considered a in a bear market now because it's it's greater than 20, you know, 20%. So we look at uh, the peak in 07 was October of 07. It was 517 days from the peak to the trough. Um, and that's, you know, the, the trough was March of 09. And it actually took 1,480 days to, to recover. The loss at worst, you know, the, the decline from peak to trough was negative 57%. Um, the other one that was a little bit longer uh, was the tech crash, and that was uh, you know March of 2000. In March of 2000, it was 921, 29 days from peak to trough, and then it actually took uh, 1,694 to recover. You know those are pretty long ones. Uh, in that case, uh, peak to trough was down about 49 percent. And you know what's interesting is. There's also the October, not October, August of 87. Of course, we know um, really some of the action in the markets has been similar in the speed of decline that we had in 87. Uh, but in 87, peak to trough was negative 34%, a lot of that coming very concentrated in a short amount of time. Uh, that was 101 days peak to trough and 600 days to recover. Uh, it's it's sort of interesting though, You know, one of the anomalies and and we'll get into sort of how you declare a recession and negative GDP growth and all that. Um, 1980 had didn't quite get a negative quarter of uh, negative 10% GDP growth, but it was uh, about eight and a half or so. And that one was 622 days from the peak to the trough, but only 83 days to recover. And that one was down about 27%. So like I said, I mean, technically we had we were at a bear market from the September 18 highs. That was down 20%. And then you have some more milder ones, like July of 1998. It was 45 days peak to drop, 86 days to recover. Uh, April of 2011, 157 days peak to drop, 143 to recover. You know, and the average of all of these times was about negative 32% peak to trough. So we're still in this, and I'm not... You know, we don't call market bottoms, market tops, right? You, you try and set things up to uh, as best you can, right? Um, but we'll know we're out of a bear market when we're out of a bear market. And I'll sort of explain one of the things I'm watching, especially in the bond market in a little bit when I get to high yield spreads. So the other thing I'll mention too is not all bear markets are accompanied by an economic recession. In fact, when we look at you know, the peak of 2007, the peak of March of 2000, and the peak um, right after Thanksgiving in 1980, all of those were accompanied by an economic recession. But when I went over the ones in 87, 80, 18, 11, 98, those actually did not have an accompanying economic recession. That was just a peak to trough. And so we are, the speed of this decline is probably the quickest that we've had. It, it only took 22 days for the S&P to fall into a, a bear market. Um, and of course, uh, you know, now we're at a lower trough, so to speak. 
It's been 32 days, sorry, 30 days, and it's negative 32% off the highs. So the other thing I wanted to bring up was I thought it was uh, it was interesting to kind of look at. Uh, I pulled up some data, and surprisingly enough, you know, sometimes the intra-year low, uh, you have a market that pulls down and then winds up either better uh, at the close, you know, for the whole year. So, for example, in, in 2008, 2009, right, that whole period, um, we actually got down, you know, over 50%. But if you remember 2008, I say only, but it was only down a little bit under 38%. One of the interesting ones for me, though, was in 1987, intra year, the market got down to minus 34%, uh, right around there. Um, I could be off by a couple percent. But believe it or not, it closed up for the year at plus 2%. Thus far, and you know, we are uh, year to date, so not from the high, but year to date, because uh, we went up through February, then we came down. So we're 32% off the high. We are 25% year to date uh, so far, uh, but we've been uh, as bad as negative 30% year to date. Uh, I know that kind of is a little confusing, but remember, we started the year, then went up, and then came back down. So not every time that we have a, a market pullback do you actually wind up with a negative year. In fact, you know, 2009 lost another 28% of the lows at the March 2009 lows. 2009 actually was up 23% that year. So I thought I'd throw that out there because I think it was kind of an interesting way of looking at things. But definitely, when we think about historical bear markets, and we look at time to recover. Uh, it looks like, you know, of the recent ones, the average declines around 32%. The worst ones, 07, 2000, 57%, 49%, respectively. 87 was about 34, 80 was negative 27, and so on and so forth. So um, those are, that's just kind of some interesting things. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is certainly an expansion of what's called the high yield spread. And you're hearing people on CNBC talk about um, the spread in high yields exploding. And what does that mean? What does it really mean? Um, Okay, so when we look at um, the spreads in high yield, what they're really doing is they're taking the yield on high yield bonds, so what somebody would get paid theoretically in dividends, and it's a collection of bonds. And they actually call this what's called the option-adjusted spread. And it's it gets a little uh, technical, but that basically takes in sort of the uh, uh, price to call. So corporations can issue a bond, and then if they want to call it early, they can pay off the bond at a certain price. But, but the option-adjusted spread on high yield is the difference between the yield on high-yield bonds and the yield, let's say, on treasuries. And prior to, uh, to this, it was about 360 basis points. And remember, 100 basis points equals 1%. 360 basis points equals 3.6%. So the spread between high yield and treasury is about 3.6%. Um, through, you know, I think it was two days ago, it was about 982 basis points, so 9.82%. And that exceeded the... Uh, what we saw when high yield, a lot of high yield ETFs pulled back about 10% and then recovered 
uh, January of 16, the spread got to as high as 7.77. Uh, September of 2011, about 8.41, uh, the highest. And this data only goes back to, I guess, the early 90s. Uh, but the spread got over 19%, you know, the worst of it in 2008, and then kind of recovered back. And then you go back to 2002, is about 10.5% or so. So typically what happens when you have dislocations in the market, you have fear in the market, you have markets that they pull back equity markets. Typically what happens is there's a flight to quality, people buying treasuries, um, but also the spreads tend to widen. That's typical anytime you have a sell-off. Um, and historically when they've widened, uh, then they've come back in and the value of high yield uh, tends to, to go higher. And so um, one of the things that uh, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what are you watching for? Um, you know, and again, I, I don't call bottoms, I don't call tops, but there's a couple of things. In equity markets, one of the things you watch for is, is volatility to be reduced for um, realized moves day to day be less than the expected moves that the option market is putting in. Um, you would expect to see less volatility or, or less um, difference between highs and lows on a day. You know, we've had 10% moves, 4% moves, 5% moves. Um, in a normal trading environment, those you just don't see swings that high. But one of the things I think was really interesting is to take a look and watch the spread on high yield to treasuries. And one of the indications that things are sort of normalizing is you would expect to see spreads come back in, meaning spreads to narrow. And you would expect that uh, uh, specifically, you know, watching high yield um, a lot of times that's been a good indication of when markets are, are firming up. Now, we, we say spreads in high yield. We also get into, and, and across the board, spreads have widened, whether it's uh, corporate, you know, investment-grade corporates. Uh, those spreads are about 209 basis points, so 2.09%. And then as you get to the lower end of quality, like U.S. Uh, high yield triple C, those spreads had reached about you know 1,526 basis points or about 15.26%. So high yield is sort of a combination. We say high yield, it's a combination between um, you know the you're looking at triple C's, B's, double B's, right? It, it's it's uh, what's considered the the junk uh, bond spectrum, right? Uh, but recently, uh, I read somewhere that high yield spreads are now 32% above their 20 year averages. And energy high yield spreads jumped to their highest level ever. I think they were something like 1,900 basis points. So um, when we say energy high yield spreads, it's it's looking at um, high yield uh, bonds in the energy space and their spread between what they're yielding and what treasuries are yielding. And to kind of close the loop on this, because I think this idea of spreads widening, spreads narrowing, it might be a little bit new to many of you. Um, but essentially, think of it this way. If you have a bond that's issued, uh, let's say a, it's uh, has a coupon of 5%, so it pays 5% interest in a year, and it's issued at $1,000, which is par value. Well, if that bond goes from a price of 1000 down to 500 that yield, the current yield, assuming they, you know, they're making their interest payments, um, goes from 5% to 10%. And so when you think about if treasuries are, in that example, if it go, you know, if the price goes down by half, uh, still paying the interest. Um, the spread goes, you know, ten percent. Let's say if Treasuries are one percent, the spread would be nine percent. So hopefully that makes sense. 
uh, for everybody. But that's definitely an interesting thing to look for. I will put a link. Uh, St. Louis Reserve Bank of uh, St. Louis, the Fed, uh, also FRED, uh, as it's called, has a ton of free information. And I'll put a link specifically to the chart where you can see what high yield spreads are and you can see how they've risen recently. And that's something I'll be keeping an eye on. So the other thing that uh, we want to talk about is um, a lot of people are saying, will we have recession? Will we not have recession? And, and what is a recession? So this is kind of an interesting period because a lot of times data starts to deteriorate. And, but what's fast, I shouldn't say fascinating, but it, it's just interesting that, you know, we're still getting, we're, we're almost all the way through reporting of Q4 2019 earnings. And they were up uh, year over year. They had some increases. And, you know, one of the things, so GDP or gross domestic product, that's one of the proxies for the economy. And if GDP is growing, real GDP, real GDP above inflation, right? Um, you know, the Atlanta Fed has this GDP now indicator. And what basically, it's kind of volatile, but what they do is anytime they have new information, uh, what they'll do is they'll sort of update their forecast. And so we don't have, and the way the GDP works is uh, basically, for example, in January, we got the first estimate to Q4 GDP. Uh, February, we got the second estimate. And March, you know, you get the, the final GDP number for Q4. We won't get an estimate of Q1 GDP until sometime in April. And then there's the, the first, the second, and the, you know, those are revised and you get the final ones. So we won't know the final GDP until you know, June for Q1. But the, uh, they have sort of a, a range of estimates by economists. And then there's this thing called the Atlanta uh, GDP Now. And their GDP Now, as of, I think this was as of March 16th, or uh, I'd have to take a look at this here. Um, their next update is Wednesday, March 25th. So this is probably as of the 18th. Their GDP now was a plus 3.1% uh, estimated for Q1. Again, we don't have any Q1 numbers yet. Um, the range, the blue chip consensus was more along the lines of, I'd call it 1.3 or 1.4% um, growth, right? So they were expecting growth. And I say it's it's sort of interesting because a lot of times, like I said, I mean, you start to see some deterioration in the numbers and, and we really... Uh, you know, on the edges, sure, but we didn't really see anything. Um, but we know that with the country, essentially, you know, a lot of things uh, forcing to close for a, for a while, like restaurants can't be open, gyms, movie theaters. Um, even though people are buying goods at Costco and supermarkets, a lot of people are expecting, you know, some, uh, whether negative GDP or sort of, you know, uh, earnings to be impacted. We don't really know what they they are yet. So I say that because um, Q2 is really the quarter where you think, well, we're just ending uh, Q1. We don't really know what the the impact of this is going to be yet. Q2, question is, what, what are you going to see? Q2, of course, is April, May, and June, uh, depending upon how all of this lasts. And so people are asking, you know, when will we know? Is Will this actually cause a recession? Will it not? What is a recession? So there's really two, two ways to look at, you know, when people say a recession, and remember I said not every bear market is accompanied by a recession, 
Um, some of those bear market declines happen without recessions, and some some did. But what is a recession? Well, a recession you'll hear on TV, and they're not wrong. I mean, it's uh, but a lot of people view a recession sort of the back of the napkin, um, back of the envelope version is whenever you have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. So let's say in Q2, we were negative something. In Q3, we were negative something. After the the second quarter of a negative, in a row of negative GDP growth, um, people a lot of times say that's a recession. In actuality, the National Bureau of Economic uh, Review, NBER, I hope I got that last R right, Oh, research, yeah. National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER. Sorry to the folks at NBER. I'll, of course, link to this as well. Um, they actually don't define a recession in terms of two quarters of decline in real GDP. Rather, recession, and I'm reading from their side, is a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy lasting more than a few months, normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. So, um, and it's, it's kind of interesting. They'll issue a statement, and sometimes they don't declare, I, don't, I shouldn't say sometimes, I mean, they don't necessarily declare a recession when it's happening. They may only declare it afterwards. For example, um, they decided that June of 2009 was the turning point. Um, they call that the trough in the economy, the, the low in the economy. But they didn't send the announcement out uh, that June of 2009 was the trough until September of twenty. Um, for example, they said December of 07 was the peak, uh, but they didn't send the, the link out until December of 2008. And so that's um, they won't sort of call it till it's in the rear view mirror until they review all the data. Um, but that's the official recession, things like that. But if, if you're looking at negative uh, two quarters in a row of negative GDP growth, um, that's a way for a more immediate assessment of it. Now, I will say that not all recessions, um, you know, are equal, and they're not all the same in length, um, you know, and things like that. Uh, for example, the Great Depression uh, GDP decline peaked to trough with something like negative twenty six percent. And I'll be honest, I don't know how good the reporting on GDP was back then, but obviously, you know, you've heard of the Great Depression. Uh, the duration was three years, seven months. Um, but more recently, if we look at what's called the Great Recession, and um, I don't know who named that, but that was December of 07 until June of 09. That was a year and six months. And GDP declined negative 5.1 cent, uh, five, negative 5.1% peaked to trough. And, you know, the early 2000s, that was the, the dot-com era. Uh, that was only theoretically eight months. Um, and what's interesting about that one too, they didn't call it a recession until March of 2001 as the, uh, the trough. And we know that March of 2000 was when the bear market and equity started. Uh, but that was sort of a, a, really a slight decline. And that was eight months. Then 1990, no one remembers the great recession of 1990 because, you know, uh, it lasted eight months. Uh, you know, nobody really remembers that one. And then you go back to some of the eighties. Um, it is interesting, the, you know, the January 1980 to July of 1980 only lasted six months. And one of the quarters there, um, you'd have to go back to probably the 1950s uh, to find a GDP quarterly print that was 
down about minus 10%. That one in 1980, you had one of the quarters was down about eight and a half percent from memory. So, you know, not every recession lasts uh, that long. Some are short, um, some are longer, but that's how, and, you know, you're not going to get a, a look at Q2 GDP um, until, so what was that, April, May, June, until July is the first estimate. But that GDP now of Atlanta Fed uh, should give some early indications. It's volatile, it you know, uses data as it comes in. Uh, of course, link to that as well in the show notes. Okay, so here's the other thing that people are asking, and they're trying to pick bottoms and things like that. You know, I don't pick bottoms, I don't pick tops. So, uh, you'll know the bottom once it's happened. And, you know, it's just, but one of the things that people are trying to do right now is they're they're looking at, they're trying to guess what the the impact of all this is. And the market is a, is a voting machine. It's um, and when it's sold off, I mean, stocks can sell off for no reason. They can sell off for a reason. They, uh, those reasons can make it overdone to the upside, overdone to the downside. Uh, markets sometimes dislocate from fundamentals and, and vice versa. But I'll give you a couple numbers here. Uh, everybody was sort of looking at, at the February 19th high, the S&P closed at 3,386.15. Okay, uh, to put that in perspective, we closed um, the other day at 2304.92. All right. So that's uh, over a thousand, it's 1,081.23 points lower, 32% off the high. So let me give you some numbers here. Um, there's something called the PE ratio, it's the price to earnings. And basically, you can take at the aggregate uh, earnings of all the companies in the SP, and you can divide the, the SP divided by those. And you can get a multiple. Let's use an easy example. Let's say a company is trading at a market cap of 10 million. Well, what does that really mean? Let's say there's a million shares outstanding, 10 million market cap. It means it's trading at $10 a share. Okay, easy enough, right? Now, let's say they were going to they earn $1 a share. Well, if it's trading at 10 and their earnings are $1 a share, you would say its price to earnings is 10. Okay, and you can look at past uh, historical earnings, so the past four quarters. And what's a trading trailing earnings? But you also look at earnings estimates for the next four quarters and say, how many times future earnings is it trading? In other words, let's say that same company that we made up, uh, it made a dollar over the last four quarters. Analysts are expecting it to earn $2 over the next four quarters. So it's an estimate. Those are forward earnings and still trading at 10. You would say it's trading at five times future earnings, 10 divided by two. Okay. So... The estimate, some of the estimates were about $177 uh, per share on the S&P, okay? Those, that, again, that's an aggregate number uh, of all the, the companies. It was trading at 3386.15. It was trading at about, you know, 18.8, uh, 18.7. Let's round up to about 19 times forward earnings. And a lot of people looked at that and said, you know, it's, it's uh, the valuation. Uh, if they've got the earnings right, it's trading at 19. The 25-year average of trading at forward Multiples is about 16.2, 16.3. So that's what they were looking at. And so now one of the things uh, people like Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, analysts are trying to do is they're trying to estimate, given that we've had disruptions in the economy um, due to the coronavirus and uh, you have cities uh, sort of, you know, 
ordering movie theaters, restaurants, gyms, all that stuff down. They're trying to figure out, okay, it's not going to be 177 like we thought it was. What are our earnings estimates? And so I saw a note out from Goldman Sachs. I don't, you know, things change pretty, feels like a, a day is like a month in these markets. Uh, but they had a hundred from 177 revised down to 156. Okay. So let's put a number on that. If the market, and by the way, multiples are only, you know, uh, a market can trade in any multiple. I mean, it could trade five times future earnings, 10 times. Uh, but I said the 25-year average is about 16.2 or so. Well, if you take 156 times 16.2, they get you an S&P of about 25, 27. Again, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to trade there. I don't know what it's going to trade at. Um, but this is one of the things that analysts are trying to do right now. Uh, somebody else came out with a forecast of 136, 16.2 times that is 22.03. If the multiple, by the way, on that 156 went back to around 19, it gets you 29.46. So I say this not to try and pick direction or bottoms or tops or make predictions. Um, but as you're watching CNBC and you're reading the news, these are the things that a lot of fundamental people are trying to figure out. What's the effect of all this on earnings trying to get a number on earnings and then trying to figure out at what multiple will the market trade. Um, the other side of this, the economists are trying to figure out uh, what is Q2 going to look like? Uh, what is this last couple of weeks of, uh, of Q1 going to look like? Um, and so those are things that we'll be watching. I'm going to link to a bunch of stuff in the show notes. I'm going to link to uh, a couple different resources uh, but hopefully this gave you some perspective on historical bear markets, uh, the speed at which we've declined. Uh, it only took 22 days to get into a uh, in bear market territory. Uh, the time to recover, we don't know yet um, on this version. We'll know it once we see it. Uh, but things you can be watching for, and hopefully that was enlightening, just understanding what that, um, the high yield spreads. What does it mean when spreads widen? I think that's uh, that's something I'll be watching. All right, folks, uh, if you enjoy this, if you think it's valuable, please don't waste time rating and starring and reviewing. Instead, just pass this to someone you might think might enjoy it. And maybe somebody who hasn't listened to the podcast before. All right, everyone, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.